Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 24th presentation on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, as we work our way through the 133 catechesis offered by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979 and 1984. We're indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition and translation we're using Chapter 2, Christ Appeals to the Human Heart. In the light of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, whoever looks to desire. As the subject of our future reflections during the Wednesday meetings, I want to develop the following word of Christ, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her in a reductive way, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. It seems that this passage has a key significance for the theology of the body, like the one in which Christ appealed to the beginning, which served as the basis of the foregoing analysis. At that time, we were able to realize how vast was the context of a sentence, or even just of a word spoken by Christ. It was a question not only of the immediate context that came out in the course of the dialogue with the Pharisees, but the overall context, which we cannot enter into without going back to the first chapters of Genesis, leaving aside what refers there to the other books of the Old Testament. The foregoing analyses have shown what an extensive content Christ's reference to the beginning brings with it. The statement to which we now turn, namely Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, will certainly lead us not only into the immediate context in which it appears, but also into its overall context through which the key significance of the theology of the body will gradually become clear to us. This statement is one of the passages of the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus brings about a fundamental revision of the way of understanding and carrying out the moral law of the Old Covenant. This revision applies in order to the following commandments of the Decalogue. To the fifth, you shall not kill. To the sixth, you shall not commit adultery. Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Matthew 5, 27 through 32. It is significant that at the end of this passage, also the question of the certificate of divorce appears, which we discussed already in the last chapter, and to the Eighth Commandment, according to the text of Exodus, see Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord, see Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Especially significant are the words that come before these sections of the Sermon on the Mount, and those after them, words by which Jesus declares, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish but to fulfill. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. 
In the sentences that follow, Jesus explains the meaning of this antithesis in, and the necessity of the fulfillment of the law for the sake of the realization of the kingdom of God. Whoever carries out these commandments and teaches them will be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, John Paul II's edition. Kingdom of heaven means the reign of God in the eschatological dimension. The fulfillment of the law is the underlying condition for this reign in the temporal dimension of human existence. It is a question, however, of a fulfillment that fully corresponds to the meaning of the law of the Decalogue, of the single commandments. Only such a fulfillment builds the justice that God the legislator has willed. Christ the teacher urges us not to give the kind of human interpretation of the whole law and of the single commandments contained in it that does not build the justice willed by God the legislator. Unless your justice surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5 verse 20. Matthew chapter 5 verses 27, 28, ethical meaning. In this context appears Christ's statement according to Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28, which we intend to take as the basis for the present analyses, because together with the other statement, Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 through 9, Mark 10, referring back to the beginning, we consider it as key to the theology of the body. This statement, like the other, has an explicitly normative character. It confirms the principle of human morality contained in the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, and, at the same time, it shows a fitting and full understanding of this principle, that is, an understanding of the foundation, and at the same time, the condition for its adequate fulfillment. This fulfillment is to be considered precisely in the light of the words of Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 before this text to which we have just drawn attention it is a question on the one hand of adhering to the meaning that god the legislator put in the commandment you shall not commit adultery and on the other hand of fulfilling the justice that should superabound in man himself that is that should reach its specific fullness in him these are the two aspects so to speak of fulfillment in the evangelical sense we thus find ourselves at the heart of ethos, or as it could be defined, the inner form, the soul, as it were, of human morality. Contemporary thinkers, the example given, Schiller, see in the Sermon on the Mount a great turning point precisely in the area of ethos. A living morality in the existential sense is not formed only by the norms that clothe themselves in the form of commandments, precepts, and prohibitions, as in the case of you shall not commit adultery. The morality in which the very meaning of being human is realized, which is at the same time the fulfillment of the law by the superabounding of justice through subjective vitality, 
is formed in the interior perception of values from which duty is born as an expression of conscience, as an answer of one's own personal I. Ethos makes us, at one and the same time, enter into the depth of the norm itself and descend into the interior of man, the subject of morality. Moral value is connected with the dynamic process of man's innermost being. To reach it, it is not enough to stop on the surface of human actions, but one must penetrate precisely the interior. In addition to the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, the Decalogue also has, you shall not desire your neighbor's wife. See Exodus chapter 20 verse 17. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. In his statement in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ in some way connects them with each other. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yet the point is not so much to distinguish the area covered by these two commandments, but to point out the dimension of interior action, also referred to in the words, You shall not commit adultery. This action finds its visible expression in the act of the body, the act in which man and woman share contrary to the law of the exclusivity of marriage, the casuistry of the books of the Old Testament, which was preoccupied with investigating what, according to external criteria, constituted such an act of the body, and was at the same time oriented toward fighting adultery, opened various legal loopholes for adultery. In this way, on the basis of many compromises because of the hardness of heart, Matthew chapter 19, verse 8, the meaning of the commandment willed by the legislator suffered deformation. One was concerned with the legalistic observation of the formula, which did not superabound in the inner justice of hearts. Christ shifts the essence of the problem into another dimension when he says, Whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. According to ancient translations, has already made her an adulteress in his heart. A formula that seems to be more exact. Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28, anthropological meaning. Thus, Christ appeals to the inner man. He does so several times and in various circumstances. In this case, it seems particularly explicit and eloquent, not only with respect to the configuration of an evangelical ethos, but also with respect to the way of looking at man. Not only ethical, but also anthropological reasons suggest that we dwell longer on this text of Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, which contain the words Christ spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. With these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concludes his 24th catechesis man and woman he created them a theology of the body so we've now begun chapter two of part one of man and woman he created them a theology of the body part one focuses on the words of christ and so we've seen christ's appeal to the beginning answering the question of the pharisees in chapter 19 of matthew 
verses 3 through 8. Now we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and Pope John Paul II cites the Sermon on the Mount six times in this one catechesis alone. Very significant. It's the heart of Jesus' moral teaching. The new Decalogue, or taking the Decalogue to the next level, the Decalogue being the Ten Commandments, the Law, more on that in a moment. So in this catechesis and subsequent ones, we'll be focusing on St. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, whoever looks with desire, and chapter 3, which will be coming up, will be the third word of Christ focused upon by Pope John Paul II in this catechesis, Christ appealing to the resurrection. In heaven were neither given nor taken in marriage. That's again Matthew chapter 19, verses 11 through 12. So here we have Pope John Paul II commenting on, instructing us on, what good we should do and what evil we should avoid in light of the Sermon on the Mount. How God has created us male and female, this is the theology of the body, and how we're to glorify God in our bodies. Part of that is the way we look at another. Whoever looks with desire upon another, what am I looking for? Am I looking for a sparkle in the eye? Am I listening for a lilt in the voice? How am I trying to perceive the other? Whoever looks with desire, this is a disordered desire or a reductive desire, this is disordered. A husband should desire his wife. He should love his wife, but with a wholesome love, a wholesome desire. Christ does not rebuke that desire, whoever looks upon another. And one could look with a lustful gaze upon one's bride or one's husband, and that too would be disordered. Pope John Paul II reminds us that in giving the Sermon on the Mount, these are revisions of sort of the way of understanding the moral law of the Old Covenant. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say, love your enemy. That's a revision. You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say, whoever looks with desire upon the other. This is a revision. It's refreshing. It's restoring to its original intent. Remember, Pope John Paul II first focused our attention on Christ's appeal to the beginning. And so he's restoring the old law to the original intention of the legislator, Almighty God. Pope John Paul II calls God the legislator three times in this one catechesis. Catechesis 24, on man and woman, he created them a theology of the body. What does it mean for God to be the legislator, the lawgiver? Pope John Paul II, as the Bishop of Rome, is the supreme legislator for the church on earth. The legislator, God the lawgiver. As the law was given to Moses on Sinai for all of Israel, sometimes Moses is said to be a lawgiver, a legislator. John Paul II is reminding us that the great law comes from the great God, God the legislator. And Christ has taught us anew the holy law of God, not written on tablets of stone on Sinai's height, but as he sat on the mountainside, preaching the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and on Mount Calvary, the Lord Jesus won for us the grace which we need to fulfill the law and the prophets, even as Christ reminds us, even as John Paul II reminds us of those beautiful words of Christ, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have come to fulfill them. And the law and the prophets are fulfilled when the meaning of the law, when the meaning of the prophets is adhered to, 
And when they are fulfilled, when God is able to observe a holy people on the face of the earth, those who love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength and their neighbor as themselves, then is the law fulfilled. Then are the prophets fulfilled. And that's only possible by God's grace. And we learn of this all in the Holy Gospel. This is the evangelical sense of the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, which Pope John Paul II reminds us in this 24th Catechesis on the Theology of the Body. Pope John Paul II points out not only that the Sermon on the Mount is revised, the way of understanding of the moral law of the Old Covenant, but also the way of carrying out the moral law of the Old Covenant, not just not to commit adultery, but to be pure of heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. That's the Beatitudes. Whoever looks with lust, whoever looks with a disordered desire, a reductive desire upon the other, has broken this commandment, this law from the divine legislator, Almighty God himself. This is the teaching of Christ, the teacher. This is the teaching of the vicar of Christ, Pope John Paul II. And we're conscious of those other words. The Lord spoke to Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. We're bound to believe the truth of the gospel. And that's why the Holy Father opened his mouth. That's why he took pen to paper and wrote these words, that we might grow in a deeper love for God and neighbor and self, as the Lord would have us do. Pope John Paul II, as an academic philosopher, spent much of his time working on ethical matters. And here we see it shining forth in his Petrine ministry. He speaks to us about the law, not just the first five books of the Holy Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but also the great Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. There is no God but God. God's name is holy. God's day is holy. Honor our father and our mother, our parents, not to kill, to respect life, to honor life, not to commit adultery or to covet our neighbor's wife or husband. The Spanish is beautiful here. Not to commit impure acts, not to have impure desires. Better rendition, perhaps. Not to covet our neighbor's goods, not to steal our neighbor's goods, and to love the truth, to honor the truth, to not bear false witness. This is the great law of God. Not just the ten words, decalogos, but all that they imply, all of them together and each one individually. And the Holy Father specifically identifies three of the commandments as being mentioned here by Christ. The fifth commandment, not to kill. The sixth commandment, not to commit adultery. The eighth commandment, not to bear false witness. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is the gospel. Christ Jesus was only yes. Yes to the will of the Father. Yes to his saving passion and death. Yes to purity of heart. And he calls us to the same ascent. He calls us to say yes to him, yes to his holy will, yes to the sanctity of life and to the sanctity of holy marriage and the nuptial embrace. In this second chapter of part one of the Theology of the Body, Pope John Paul II reminds us that there is an ethical meaning to the words of Christ, whoever looks with desire, but there's also an anthropological meaning 
not only what good should we do, what evil should we avoid, based upon these words of Christ, whoever looks with desire, but also what does this say about ourselves, about our neighbors, each of us made in the image of God. We're called to love one another, not just a warm, fuzzy feeling, but in spirit and in truth. Pope John Paul II, in this 24th Catechesis on the Theology of the Body, Man and Woman, He Created Them, reminds us that the heart of ethos, the inner form or the soul of human morality is just this, adhering to the meaning of the law and fulfilling the justice required by the law, the law of love for God and neighbor, the law given once of old through Moses and fulfilled in Christ the Lord. Already in this second chapter, Pope John Paul II anticipates the third chapter when he reminds us about the eschatological dimension. Whoever carries out these commandments and teaches them will be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven meaning the reign of God. The reign of God fully realized on high for all eternity in heaven. But the reign of God breaking into time and space by the presence of Christ the King, by the carrying out of his holy law, by his holy grace. Pope John Paul II speaks about moral value in this 24th Catechesis, and this is again reminding us of his philosophical and ethical background values. What is worthwhile? Our faith is more precious than fire-tried gold. Christ has bought us at the price of his blood. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be. What is it that we value? We should value doing good. We should value avoiding evil. We should value being found pleasing in the sight of Almighty God. Pope John Paul II is reminding us in this 24th Catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body, that our morality, that our acting well is not just surface, it's to go deeper to the interiority, to our motivations, to our desires. And John Paul is able to say that because of what the Lord has said. So often, morality is focused on the acts of the body. And it's good to remember here that other work written by John Paul II before he was Bishop of Rome, the acting person, person in act. It's a very philosophical concept. The act of being, the act of being a living being. An act of the body presupposes the body, presupposes life in the body, a living being. But morality is not just what we do with our body. That is a part of the moral equation, no question. There's a difference whether I pat you on the back, shake your hand, or give you a black eye. Those are three different moral acts of the body. But they're also manifesting what's in the heart, the hand clasp of fellowship, an encouraging pat on the back, or an act of violence. Pope John Paul II, in this catechesis on the theology of the body, reminds us again that it's about marriage. He speaks about the exclusivity of marriage. To covet a neighbor's wife or neighbor's husband is to go against the exclusivity of marriage. To commit adultery similarly or to fornicate is against the exclusivity of marriage. Forsaking all others. Remember Christ our Lord who spoke these words. He has only one bride. He, the bridegroom, 
of Mother Church. John Paul II, in this 24th Catechesis on the Theology of the Body, addresses not only ethical meanings, but anthropological meanings. What does it mean for man, these words which Christ, true God and true man, has spoken? Christ speaks to us not only the truth about God, but the truth about ourselves. And so he gives us a way of thinking about ourselves, about our neighbor. Thou shalt not commit adultery, yes. And thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or husband, yes. Thou shalt not even look with a disordered desire upon the other. This tells us something about ourselves, how we are to relate one to another. It's not only external or physiological about the body, although it includes the body. It's also about the disposition of our hearts, about our souls. We see the ethical import in this catechesis when the Holy Father speaks to us about norms, about precepts, about prohibitions, about commandments. These are different categories of morality. There are some people who say there's no such thing as duty or there's no such thing as law, but that really goes against our experience, doesn't it? Normally, there's sunrise and sunset. Normally, there's winter, spring, summer, and fall. Normally, we are born, we live, and we die. This is the way we experience things. Normally, if I eat too much food, I get sick. Normally, if I don't eat enough food, I get sick. Similarly, if I eat healthy food, the normal outcome is health. The natural law presupposes the regularity in nature, normal activity, normal happenings. The commandments of God, the precepts of God, the prohibitions of God do this. Keep holy the Sabbath, honor your father and mother. The prohibitions do not kill, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Divine positive law we encounter here. These are norms not made by man, but coming from God, which lead us back to him when we accept them in our hearts and live them in our lives. Pope John Paul II speaks to us about conscience in this 24th Catechesis, that judgment within ourselves that this is good and I should do it. This is evil and I should avoid it. How is it that we form our conscience? If we consult that other work of the late Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we are to form our conscience before the cross of Christ. For Christ died as the price of our salvation. He paid the price for our sin. So let's not sin. That helps us form our conscience. What is sin? We form our conscience before the word of God, which is not just sacred scripture. That is the inspired written word of God. But the word of God is primarily a person, Jesus Christ. So not only before his cross, but before his word, his very self, and also, we form our consciences through the sure and certain teaching of the church. What have the saints said? What have the popes said? What have the councils said? Here, we're studying the works of Pope John Paul II in the Theology of the Body. This is to help us form our consciences. The example of holy people likewise helps us to form our conscience. So we might think rightly about things so we've begun chapter 2 of part 1 of the Theology of the Body. We're looking at the words of Christ. In chapter 1, we saw Christ appeal to the beginning when asked by the Pharisees, 
whether it was lawful for any reason for man to divorce his wife. And our Lord reminds us about the beginning. And so John Paul II led us back to the first two creation accounts of man in the beginning in the book of Genesis. And he reminded us how we were unlike any other creature on the earth. He reminded us of our original solitude. And he reminded us about the original unity of the two, husband and wife, this man and this woman, flesh from my flesh, bone from my bone, and the unity of the two, the two became one flesh, be fruitful and multiply. The Pope reminded us about original nakedness, how in the beginning they were naked without shame. Shame entered the world through sin, through the fall, that there was a gift of self, not only God in whose image were made, giving his image to us, his creatures, but also the gift of the husband to his wife and the wife to her husband. And this not just in the beginning, but for all time, the Pope spoke to us about the spousal meaning of the body, about original innocence, which is followed by the fall. He spoke to us about knowledge and procreation. Adam knew his wife, Adam, Yada, and she conceived. Now, in chapter 2, we're seeing another saying of Christ, Christ appealing to the human heart. It was not that way in the beginning. You have heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I say whoever looks with desire has committed adultery in his heart. Until next time, God bless you.